We're in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. That's found in your pew Bibles on page 3 in the New Testament portion. That's located directly underneath your pew racks. You can find a pew Bible there. Matthew chapter 5, again, verses 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of God. Thank you, Cindy, for that ministry and music. I wonder, who wants to experience ridicule or persecution in any form? I doubt very much that any one of us would volunteer for that. In fact, we probably would want to avoid it at all costs. We are in the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus had just taught concerning blessedness, and in particular, blessedness that's associated with persecution. In Matthew 5, 10, it reads, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For so persecuted they the prophets who were before you. So when Jesus speaks about persecution, he talks about its common nature, its commonality to those who follow the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, such is the kingdom of heaven. It goes Persecution goes along with it. Elsewhere in the New Testament, we read that those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It is in that context that Jesus now says to those who are his disciples, you are the salt and light in the world. You are the salt and light in the world. We looked at salt last week. You are the salt of the earth. Today, we look at light. The natural tendency is to draw back or recoil from pain. If you stick your finger in a flame, the natural response is to draw back. No one wants to experience pain and hardship. And so as a result, there is a natural tendency to seek to go unnoticed in our relationship to Christ so as not to experience persecution or even ridicule. It's a natural phenomenon. It's what each one of us wrestles with. Wanting to be bold 
in our relationship for Christ, but fearing what might happen as a result. So as a result, there is this tendency to seek to be a quiet or silent disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is no new temptation. It is true of us, and it was true of those in the New Testament as well. In fact, there are some glowing examples, if you will, of those that wanted to hide their light, as it were. In John chapter 19, verse 38, we are introduced to a man who is referred to as Joseph of Arimathea, so that we might understand which Joseph we are talking about. Joseph of Arimathea. He is the one who came and asked for the body of Jesus after Jesus had been crucified. And in John chapter 19, 38, we read this. And after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate granted permission. He came, therefore, and took his body away. Joseph, Arimathea, a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one. A secret one. Then we have the example of Nicodemus. The very next verse says, And Nicodemus came also, who had first come to him, that is Jesus, by night, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him by night. In each reference of Nicodemus, it talks about his coming to Jesus by night. Why? So he won't be observed. So people won't see him in association with Jesus Christ. He is trying to keep his commitment to Jesus Christ on the QT, lest someone may find out of his allegiance to Jesus Christ. So my question for you today is, how willingly do you associate with Jesus Christ? How open are you about your commitment to Jesus Christ? Are you a disciple of Jesus that seeks to be salt and light in this world? Or are you tempted and may even give in to that temptation of wanting to be a silent or quiet disciple? so that others don't know and associate you with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The key verse in our section this morning is found in verse 14. You are the light of the world. It is the believers in Jesus Christ that are the light. The you is emphatic. Clearly stating what the believer is. You are 
the light. You, you. The emphasis is on you, and it's plural. You as a people of God, you as the disciples, we as a church are the light of this world. It is not what we might become, but it is what we are. We are the light. And we are going to find in this text that if you're a disciple, you, in fact, will be light. You will be light. The Jewish leaders thought of themselves as being the source of light. That's given to us clearly in Romans chapter 2. But Jesus says, no, you are the light of the world. So what is meant by light? Well, the function of light is to make reality of truth visible, thereby giving direction and guidance by what is seen. By what is seen. In Ephesians 5, 9, it says, For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. So the light reveals goodness, the light reveals righteousness, the light reveals the truth of God, showing how we're to please God, Ephesians 5, 9. For the fruits of the light consist in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to God. So we reveal to a dark, sin-ridden world how it is possible to please God. And the scripture says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. So it begins with accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as one's Savior. We bear that testimony. We bear that announcement. We need to tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ and what it means to believe in him in a saving way. And then... It goes on to say that light reveals goodness and truth and righteousness. And so our lives then are to reflect that work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, producing goodness and righteousness and truth. We are the light of the world. This morning, I want us to consider what the implications are for our being light in the world. What are those implications? Well, the first implication of Christians being light of the world is that a Christian cannot escape notice or scrutiny even if he or she wanted to. Let me say that again. A Christian cannot escape notice or scrutiny even if he or she wanted to. Notice our text, verse 14. You are the light of the world. And now these words. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Cannot be hidden. It is impossible to hide a city that is set on a hillside. Even more so, a city that has been illuminated. A city that is displaying light. During World War II, their air ministry had forecast that Britain would suffer night air bombing attacks 
causing large numbers of civilian casualties and mass destruction. It was widely agreed that navigation and targeting could be more difficult if man-made lights on the ground could be extinguished, and thus the desire for the blackout. Blackout regulations were imposed on the 1st of September, 1939, before the declaration of war. These required that all windows and doors should be covered at night with suitable materials such as heavy curtains, cardboard, or paint to prevent the escape of any glimmer of light that might aid enemy aircraft. The government ensured that the necessary materials were available. External lights such as street lights were switched off or dimmed and shielded to deflect light downward. Essential lights such as traffic lights and vehicle headlights were fitted with slotted covers to deflect their beams downwards to the ground. Shops and factories had particular problems. Factories with large areas of glass roofing found it impossible to install temporary blackout panels and permanent methods such as paint lost natural light during the daylight. Shops had to install double airlock doors to avoid lights showing as customers arrived and departed. The blackout was deemed so important that it was enforced by civilian air raid patrol wardens who would ensure that no buildings allowed the slightest clink or glow of light. Offenders were liable to stringent legal penalties. The City of London did everything in its power with great meticulousness to avoid any light to be escaping from the city so that they could go unobserved so that they could hide, as it were, so that the German bombers couldn't find the city of London in order to bomb it. Israel, um, excuse me, London experienced horrific bombing raids. It was impossible for the city of London to hide. It was impossible for them to go unnoticed. Though they put forth great effort to do so, it was impossible. Like it or not, even if we as Christians seek to hide our light, it actually cannot be done. Now, You may, if you are quick, say, well, pastor, you just gave us two examples. You just told us about Joseph, and you just talked about Nicodemus. Joseph, who was a secret disciple, and Nicodemus, who came to Jesus by night. That's true. I did. But we all know that Joseph was a disciple. And we all know that Nicodemus was a follower of Christ. There came a moment in time. There came a situation in which they just could not keep it silent any longer. They just had to identify with Jesus Christ. When Joseph saw the crucifixion of Christ and recognized all of the commitment that Jesus Christ had had made, he now was willing to go forth 
and to speak to those in authority and claim the body of Jesus Christ. And Joseph, who for fear of the Jews and the Pharisees, uh, excuse me, and Nicodemus, fearing the Jews and the Pharisees, himself being a Pharisee, was willing to go with Joseph and identify themselves as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you really are a child of God, you can't keep silent forever. If you really are a child of God, you're going to be placed in situations in which your faith is going to come forth. You're going to be in situations in which it is going to be impossible for you to both follow Christ and go unobserved in your commitment. Moments of testing, moments of trial, moments of moral decisions. You cannot, if you are a true disciple of Jesus Christ, you cannot hide your light. Number two, the second implication of Christians being the light of the world is that we should not intentionally seek to keep our Christian testimony from shining through. We shouldn't try to keep our Christianity to ourselves. God intends for us to be the light of the world. Since God intends for us to be the light of the world, we should not seek to hide the light of our Christian testimony from the world. It goes contrary to the purpose for which God has saved us. God has saved us to be light. Thus, to try to hide the light goes contrary to the will and purpose of God. The very reason that we are saved is to be the light of this world. We are to go into all the world and preach the gospel. This truth is illustrated by a lamp. Matthew 5, verse 15. Men do not light a lamp and then put it under a bushel basket. Look at verse 15. Nor do men light a lamp and put it under a peck measure. That's not what people do. People don't light a lamp and then stick it under a bushel basket in order to keep the light from shining through. That would run contrary to the purpose of lighting the lamp. Instead, when a lamp is lit, it's put on a lampstand. That is, it's placed in a prominent place within the house in order to give off light. Look at verse 15. Nor do men light a lamp and put it under a peck measure, but on the lampstand. On a lampstand. It's put in a prominent place in order for the lamp to be displayed. The result is that everyone in the house benefits from that light, the end of the verse, and gives light to all who are in the house. You need to keep in mind, in New Testament days, their houses were not like our houses. Their houses tended to be one-room homes. And so you put a light 
in this one-roomed home, and it would enlighten the whole house. Everyone would benefit from the light. God is the one who has enlightened us. And God intends for that light to shine forth and not to be hidden. God wants the whole world to be lightened through us. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. We are a derivative light. We shine as a result of our relationship to Jesus Christ. He makes us the light of this world. So, in the analogy, in the illustration, the man who is lighting the lamp is God. God has set us ablaze, if you will, for the intent of not just our own benefit. We are not to be end users of the gospel. We are not to be just a repository of truth. We're not just to read the Bible so that we can learn Bible trivia, nor are we in order, saved in order to have a privatized faith. And our society is big on a privatized faith. It's okay for you to have faith. Just keep it to yourself. Just don't let anybody know about it. And whatever you do, don't let it affect the way you make judgments or decisions. How awful it would be if we had a president that would actually allow the Bible to determine his course of actions. We live in a a culture that makes it very clear that they want their leaders to be religious, but they want that religiosity to be privatized. So it doesn't have bearing on their attitudes, their actions, their thoughts, and their decision-making. Well, God saved us for the intent that our thoughts and our attitudes and our actions would indeed be changed. And it, it is in that change that we become children of light. We must not seek to hide our light. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor and theologian. He was also a dissident anti-Nazi and founding member of the Confessing Church. His writings on Christianity's role in the secular world have become widely influential, and many have labeled his book the cost of discipleship, a modern classic. And it really is. It's a a fantastic book. The cost of discipleship. What is the cost of being a follower of Jesus Christ? Apart from his theological writings, Bonhoeffer became known for his staunch resistance to the Nazi dictatorship. He strongly opposed Hitler's euthanasia program and genocidal persecution of the Jews. He was also involved in plans by members of the German military intelligence office to assassinate Adolf Hitler. Some in his own army were seeking to assassinate him, and they reached out to Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who conspired with them to assassinate Adolf Hitler. 
he, that is Bonhoeffer, was arrested in April 1943 by the Gestapo. He was executed by hanging April 1945 while imprisoned in a Nazi concentration camp. Just 23 days before Germans surrender. 23 days before Germany surrendered, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was hung because of his opposition to euthanasia and the genocide of those Jewish people. Bonhoeffer had to make his religious beliefs be prominent. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, and I quote, Flight into the invisible is a denial of the call. A community of Jesus which seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow him. A community of believers that seeks to hide themselves has ceased to follow Christ. Dietrich Bonhoeffer refused to follow the example of so many in seeking to be quiet about their faith in Jesus Christ. The third implication of Christians being light in the world is that not only should we seek not to hide our light, but conversely, to actively put it on display. Notice verse 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. So now we have moved from wanting to hide the light, now to be moving to a place in which we are actively seeking to display the light. It is the opposite ends of the spectrum. One is looking for ways to hide. The other is looking for ways to be known. And Jesus said we are to be the ones that are putting the light on the lampstand, if you will. That's what is meant by such a way. Such a way. By putting it on display, it means that we should consciously, intentionally live our lives in a uniquely Christian manner. What does that look like? Well, let's look at one biblical example. Turn with me, if you would, to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. It's from where we took our call to worship this morning. Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 14. Do all things, Philippians 2.14, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may prove yourselves to be blameless, innocent, children of God, above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. We live in what is described in this verse as a crooked 
and perverse generation. We live in a sin-sick, darkened world. And we are to be separate from that. We are to be distinguished from that. And it goes down to something as simple and mundane is not grumbling when everybody else grumbles. And not complain when everybody else complains. By submitting to authority rather than to be regaling against authority. By understanding truth and how to live it out. And as such, you are lights in this world. You become observable. You stick out. Have you ever been in a social gathering? A meeting? Or just in an area in which you don't know people, but all of a sudden someone strikes you that, I think this person's a believer. Just by the way they conduct themselves. You know, maybe a a certain kind of attitude or whatever. I got into a conversation with one man simply because I was on vacation and was traveling and uh, was there at breakfast and saw a man bow his head and prayed before he ate breakfast. I walked over to him and I said, do you know the Lord is your Savior? He said, I sure do. We sat and we talked about 20 minutes from a simple thing, such as bowing his head. Sometimes you can sit in a meeting and you hear a comment that someone makes. You say, well, I wonder if that person's a Christian. Sounds like something that a committed follower of Christ would say. So put your life on display. Notice verse 16, that they may see your good works. See your good works. But then we ask the question, doesn't that run contrary to what other portions of Scripture teach? Turn with me back to Matthew. We're going to go just one chapter ahead of our text. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Now that seems to sound opposite to what we just read. Let your light so shine that men may see your good works. Here it says, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be seen by them. So how do you reconcile these two passages? Well, read on and we will see. Verse 1, otherwise you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. When therefore you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be, notice the next word, honored by men. They do it in order to exalt themselves. And they're referred to as hypocrites. Moving on, verse 3. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your alms may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. And when you pray, you are not to be as the hypocrites, 
For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by men. Truly I say unto you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. So how do you reconcile these two passages? Three important elements. Number one, don't be a hypocrite. Don't be a hypocrite. In other words, don't be something in public that you aren't in private. Don't try to present yourself publicly as something that you aren't in reality. Don't feign righteousness. Don't pretend about who you are and how you live. Whatever you do publicly, you better do privately. Number two, not just be authentic, but do what you do, not simply to be seen in the sense of being honored by men. We're talking about the fact that it may bring about persecution. There are times, however, in which people will honor you. For example, the one I just used about the man who was sitting, uh, eating his breakfast, and he prayed first. I don't think he prayed so that I would go over to him and pat him on the back and say, oh, you're a good brother, you were praying. I believe he prayed because that's what he did. I believe that he prayed at home, and he prayed when he was in a restaurant. Because that's what this man did. And that's what we ought to do. Be consistent, be authentic, be what we are in private and be what we are in public. Secondly, not to bring honor and glory to ourselves, but instead to be bringing honor and glory to God. That's the key third difference. These Pharisees wanted simply to look righteous and to occupy an exalted position. In Matthew chapter 5, it is let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So that the glory goes to God and not to us. There are many, many situations in which we have the opportunity to deflect the praise that goes to us and give it to the Almighty God. There are ways for us to identify with Jesus Christ, I think, in some powerful ways. I'm going to give you an example, and I give it to you not because I always rise to the occasion because I don't. I have many shortcomings. I have many failures. But a striking situation was present. I went to see my surgeon uh, that uh, performed the uh, operation on my foot and an ankle. And uh, she took some x-rays and she commented on how beautifully my foot was healing, both in its uh, skin, that's completely healed, you can hardly even see a scar 
that's about, uh, I don't know, 10 inches long on both sides of my foot. You can hardly even see it. It has healed so well. But even more than that, the uh, bones in my foot. I had four broken bones. They've all healed. And uh, I had to have a bone transplant. I had about this big section of, of uh, a cadaver's bone put in my ankle to reconstruct it. She said you can almost hardly see where that bone is. It's, it's so fused. And she said, you really did a good job in following my directions. You know, I said, no, Doc, I, just, I really appreciate this doctor. She's very nice. She's very kind. She went to extensive lengths in order for me to be able to save this foot. She went to lengths that other doctors weren't willing to go to. Uh, others wanted to amputate. She was willing to give it a shot. And uh, she said to me after the surgery, she came in to talk about how it went, and she said, um, this was a lot more extensive than I thought it was. She wasn't expecting to have to do a bone transplant, but she did. She said, your, your bones are a lot softer than I thought that they were. And she concluded with these words. She said, I am cautiously hopeful about your recovery. Cautiously hopeful. That was her exact words. Cautiously hopeful about your recovery. Then she said, I've done all that I can. Now it's up to the man upstairs. I had the wonderful, glorious privilege of saying, the man upstairs, the true and living God, did a work. Many people had prayed. And I honestly believe that. With my whole heart, I believe that the only reason this foot healed was because of the grace of God. I had a sore that took four months to heal before they could do the operation. And that was just an external sore about this big. Now we're talking about cuts in my foot. Now we're talking about bone transplants and all of that. And yet that healed. Yeah, I followed directions. But it was much more than that. It's the grace of God. The grace of God. What she said, perhaps very flippantly, I don't know. I don't know what she meant when she said, I've done all I can, now it's up to the man upstairs. But I had the privilege of identifying with Jesus Christ and the answers to prayer and the difference it makes in our lives. We have a myriad of opportunities to let people know what makes the difference. Now here's the key. You and I experience God's grace and God's blessing throughout our lives. And people will come up and people will compliment you on 
what they see in your life. Someone may come up to you and say, such as, you know, I don't know how you put up with our boss. I don't know how you can sit there in silence. I could never do that. Someone might say to you, you know, I don't, I, I don't get it. You know, I, I appreciate the discipline I, I see in your life. I, I appreciate your honesty, or, or I've noticed that you're, you're kinder than, than most. Or, and people compliment you. And I would just encourage you, not in some wooden way, not in some holier-than-thou way, but, but with tact and forthrightness, point out that this is a work of God in my heart. You know, I'm not really a patient person, but God gives me patience. You know, if you lose a loved one and someone says, I don't know if I could go through that. Well, maybe your testimony is you honestly wondered if you could go through it. I can't imagine what it would be like for me to lose my wife. I dread that day. I do. I dread that day. I can't think. I don't want to experience. I don't want to go through being without my wife. But I believe that as the time comes, God will give me grace. But that'll be the difference. It'll be the grace of God. Then it better be made known. I'm not strong. I'm not above undue remorse. It's the grace of God. To deflect from us the source of real light, the source of real change, to let people know what Jesus Christ has done in your life. Hasn't God answered your prayers? Financially, emotionally, Children, adults, hasn't God granted you wisdom? Hasn't God helped you make decisions? And people may go to you and ask your advice. How are you so wise? Let it be known. It's Christ. He's made the difference in my life. He's made the difference in my family. Any glory that comes to us should be deflected towards him. That all men may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who's in heaven. In this text, the primary element is good deeds. Oftentimes we associated being light with our speaking. Well, the deeds that we manifest need to be consistent with what we say. And it's the deeds that have the greatest power. It is the deeds that are convicting. When the Jews were ready to take up stones against Jesus, Jesus said, for what good work do you stone me? For what good deed are you stoning me? You see, they couldn't deny his work. They couldn't deny his deeds. They couldn't deny what he has done. 
but they denied what he taught. There's a powerful witness in a changed life. A life that sticks out like a sore sore thumb. So in conclusion, first, God saved us to be a light to others. We must avoid the temptation to seek to go unnoticed in this world, to try to put our light under a basket so as not to be singled out or identified as a Christian. Avoid the temptation of not associating with Jesus Christ. Conversely, we should go out of our way to bring attention to all that God has done and is doing for us. We should intentionally think about what we can say, anticipate conversations, look for opportunities, be aware. Have you ever kicked yourself because you had an opportunity and just let it go by? Learn from it. Ask yourself, what could I have said? How could I have reacted differently? Prepare yourself to be light in this world. In order for that to occur, people need to see a difference in our lives. This is built upon the idea that you are the salt of the earth. If the salt has lost its savor, with what shall it be salted? It is therefore good for nothing, but is to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. We are to be salt. And once we are salt, we can be light. We can be light. Then lastly... People need to understand the reason for the difference, namely our relationship to Jesus Christ. May we be willing, not simply to accept the compliment, but go a step further and give them the source of the real difference. It's not in my character. It's not in my being. You see, and that's the great hope for this person who wonders if they could go through that, who wonders if they could be like you, who wonders if they could have that kind of response. Sure they can. Because the difference isn't in you. The difference is in your relationship to Christ. And all that I can do and all that you can do is all that everyone can do. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Give them the source of hope. It's Christ. Christ makes the difference. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for the person and work of the Lord Jesus. Thank you for making us light. Help us to be light. Help us to resist the temptation to be silent followers of Christ because we fear persecution or we fear harm. But, O Lord, give us strength. Give us power. Give us the willingness not to seek to hide, but to put on display our light. And then may we put it on display in such a way that we are not seeking to bring glory to ourselves, but glory to you. That all might see what you have done and what your power and what your grace can accomplish. For you are worthy of our praise.
and you are the source of hope for this world. May we point people to Jesus Christ, for it's in his name we pray. Amen. Brother's going to come. We're going to sing in closing a, a song. Many of you associate this just purely with children. Let this little light of mine. Uh, but it's got a profound truth. And I'm thankful for all the children that we have in our congregation. And uh, so many times uh, they sing songs they don't know. And I hope this has special significance even for our children this morning as we sing this little light of mine. Pastor.